Everyone has intrusive thoughts. You walk down a busy street, your mind is going to wander to places that you would be embarrassed to admit. Unwelcome thoughts are normal, but when those thoughts keep you from literally doing something, the repercussions of that could be deadly. In many cases, incredibly tragic. This obviously skyrocketed, skyrocketed during the pandemic and left in its wake broken hearts and traumatized souls. I myself won't even dare to imagine being an expert in any of this, but I do believe in the God who created the universe, and in his word, he does address intrusive thoughts, worries, anxieties, and even debilitating depression. So let's explore how those wonderful passages ministered to me and have been ministering to me in my time of amplified worry. Welcome to the Don't Knock It podcast, where we address misconceptions about Jesus' character, His church, and His word. By doing this, we hope to encourage you to delight in Christ before dismissing Him, to know Him before knocking Him. I'm your host, Chris Ramirez, and the misconception I'll be addressing today is that God has no solution for those who struggle with anxiety. Now, right off the bat, I want to say that I've never really struggled with anxiety growing up. Obviously, most people get worried when their loved ones board a flight or this sense of stage fright that comes when um, when you have to public speak, which I've obviously experienced myself plenty of times before. But I think the very first time I saw someone have a physical response to anxiety was when I was a sophomore in college and a friend of mine had a panic attack. I'm going to be completely honest and say I had the same reaction as many people do when they hear about someone having a panic, panic attack. Those immediate thoughts were something along the lines of how or why do you let those anxious thoughts rule over your mind and body in that way? Just don't think about those things and the physical response would never come. I've learned over the years that sometimes, maybe even most times, that's just not possible. Something happens in the brain, chemically, hormonally, that prevents a healthy intervention when thoughts begin to run wild. Sometimes someone can't just change their thoughts, or at least not right away. I guess a good place to start would be to actually define it. So what exactly is anxiety? The APA Dictionary and Encyclopedia of Psychology say this about anxiety. Anxiety is an, an emotion characterized by feelings of tension, worried thoughts, and physical changes like increased blood pressure. People with anxiety disorders usually have recurring intrusive thoughts or concerns. They may avoid certain situations out of worry. They may also have physical symptoms such as sweating, trembling, dizziness, or a rapid heartbeat. Anxiety is not the same as fear, but they are often used interchangeably. Anxiety is considered a future-oriented, long-acting response, broadly focused on a diffused threat. Whereas fear is an appropriate, present-oriented, and short-lived response to a clearly identifiable and specific threat. So all of that was uh, is contained in the Dictionary and, Encyc and Encyclopedia of Psychology. So to put it simply, if fear is this present, short-lived response to a clear and identifiable threat, 
anxiety is a longer lived response to a not so clear and not so identifiable threat. Now, this episode is not absolutely not about dunking on those who struggle with this. I don't want to have the same attitude many Christians have towards people with anxiety where they say, stop being such snowflakes. Just stop worrying and stop being so scared about what hasn't even happened yet. I don't intend on discrediting anyone from their struggles as many people do with mental issues, mental health issues like this. What I am going to do is share a couple of stories and offer some firsthand experience referring to this idea of of a future-oriented fear or worry from our definition. More specifically, me and my anxious thoughts as a dad. When Carolyn found out she was pregnant with our daughter Irene, that was actually the second time we had gone through the roller coaster of emotions seeing those two blue lines show up on a pregnancy test. The first time was exciting, breathtaking, realizing, wow, we're gonna have a baby. After sharing the news with a few close loved ones, the romantic side of finding out she was pregnant was short lived when we found out that she had miscarried. This was a type of grief unknown to the both of us, and as with many things in the past couple years, God taught us how to completely depend on His knowledge of the future, not our knowledge of the present, to get us through. I'll save the details of that recovery process in a future episode. Now, the reason I mention that here is because I noticed that the first time we found out that we were expecting, we experienced much more excitement than panic. We didn't really worry about how our job situations would have to change in order to raise a child. And on top of the job situation, I was still a full-time seminary student. So even considering how that would possibly change too, it didn't even cause much worry. But for some reason, the second time around, we felt the full force of the world's worries. So like I mentioned before, I was a full-time student I was driving part-time for Amazon for extra income, and Carolyn was full-time at Costco. The second time around, both of us could tell that we had no idea what we were going to do, as many parents parents find themselves uh, in the position of. So to make a long story short, here's what was on our plate. To move or not to move out of California in order to afford a decent place to raise our daughter. Whether or not I should withdraw from the spring semester and go full-time with Amazon, find a job with enough pay to keep us in our studio while Carolyn is on maternity leave, figuring out who in the world is going to watch our daughter when we're both at work because both sets of grandparents and families were too far away from us. And on top of all of that, as expected, The rearranging of Carolyn and I's plans and dreams and future trips had to be tossed out as we prepared to become parents. I think this is, I think this is what shook us the most. As our baby girl grew, I began to feel the weight of becoming a father, a protector, 
a provider, a spiritual leader. In many ways, God had already called me to be those things with getting married. But now that God was blessing us with another member to our team, the responsibility kicked into high gear. Full-time Amazon delivery driver was just not going to cut it. So naturally, the worry began to set in. You know, you, you know the type of worry and concern you have as a man getting up early in the morning and watching your wife sleep peacefully while you anxiously sip your cup of coffee, thinking and praying to yourself, God, how? How in the world is this possible? Please help me. Please show me what to do. Should we leave behind all that you have put in place for us here in California? Is it wise to move or are we being fearful with deciding to find a place more affordable? What would it look like to truly, to truly trust you today? Those mornings, if, you ever, if you've ever had them, are the most sobering moments anyone could ever experience. At that point, you have no need for caffeine. Now, apart from the worry of being able to provide for my family, the worry of raising a child in such a sick and cruel world consumed most of my thought life. I'm not naive. I'm not naive because I've been at those public schools. I've watched enough documentaries. I've been in those locker rooms and I've been on those college campuses. This is no world to raise a child, a daughter for that matter. And in addition to all of that, I've noticed how other parents are raising their children to be the most disrespectful, autonomous little rebels with the attention span of a bubble. And this is surely no world to raise a child, let alone a daughter. To think that I, that, that I would have to raise a daughter in such a wicked environment worried me the most. Until... A, until I began to remember who God was, is, and always will be, and that is good. Now, I'll spare the details with what I'm going to say next because I want to honor our marriage, but as we approached the due date, we had to meet with our counselors about how to prepare to be parents, and this is, this is something I also had to realize quite quickly, and how to be a husband and wife with a child. By God's miraculous works during this time of amplified worry and sense of responsibility and preparation, I was also given multiple opportunities to preach at church. I had already been preaching through Philippians, but it had been a while since the last time I preached, and by God's, by God's divine plan, He orchestrated me to have to study and meditate on Philippians chapter 4 in this time of my anxiety, worry, and concern. Now, if you're familiar with Philippians, you know that chapter 4 contains the well-known verse, Be anxious for nothing. So what was pretty special about that timing is what it did to my heart and state of mind. Be anxious for nothing. Really, God? Nothing? Not even raising a daughter in a wicked and godless environment? Not even providing for two in one of the most expensive states in the country? What about my wife's delivery? What about my, what about my daughter's health? What if we miscarry again? Nope, nothing, nothing. 
And that's what I'm going to do for the rest of this episode. I'm going to walk us through that passage in Philippians 4 and talk about how this beautiful passage comforted and secured my heart and mind during such a life-changing season and is still continuing to do so as I witness my family grow. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7 read, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So the Apostle Paul writes this letter from a Roman prison to a beloved group of believers in a city called Philippi, thousands of miles away from where he is imprisoned. This letter's main theme is joy, and through it, he he is constantly calling the Philippians to rejoice. So Paul's crucial starting point to rejoice and to be absent of all anxiety, as we just heard, in verses 6 and 7, is grateful prayer. That word anxious in the Greek is merimnao, which means worry, concern, or or concern about your well-being. And then John Piper defines anxiety as an an intense desire for something accompanied by a fear of the consequences of not receiving it. I think that's a pretty accurate definition considering what we read earlier about how the APA defines it. You see, here's the thing about that. The The world has so much to offer regarding how to manage our anxiety, how to cope with it, and how to suppress it only to fear it rising up again. But Paul here in Philippians 4 offers a way to completely eliminate it. And and just think about how radical that is. In all of my worries and intrusive thoughts with how I'm supposed to provide for my family and raise a child, God presents a way to walk through this life without a single worry. His prohibition here in in Philippians 4 prevents all exceptions and excuses. There is nothing, absolutely nothing, that is a proper reason for the continuous stress of worry. It's it's these types of verses that cause us to come to -to face-to-face with the God of the Bible and ask Him, Are you truly who you say you are? Do I actually believe you, God? Is a worryless life truly possible? Both Paul and the Philippians had many reasons to worry, but I want to use this time to ask you, what about you? What do you worry about? What is constantly on your mind that is causing you to fear outcomes and situations that are not a current, present reality? This may sound new to many, so when I say so when So when I say what I'm about to say, I want you to just pause and reflect if it's possibly true. And that is this. Behind every anxious thought is the illusion of control. Anxiety and control are two sides of the same coin. When we can't control something, we worry about it. Something out of your hands, outside of your control, 
should be outside of your mind. R.C. Sproul Jr. has has this wonderful quote that highlights just how much we as, as Christians worry when he says, we worry so much that we worry about what we will worry about when we get to heaven. Who will we see? Will I still have these thighs? Will I be old or young? What will we eat? What will it look like? I know I know that non-religious people have many worries, but even posing these questions reveals how often believers worry too. I love what Charles Spurgeon says about anxious thoughts when he says, Anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows. It only empties today of its strength. You see, anxiety corrupts clarity. It distorts reality and it, fuel, and it fuels distrust and unbelief. And as a Christian, obviously that can cause serious problems. It sounds harsh, but behind every anxious thought is atheism in seed form. And this is how. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus addresses worrisome thoughts in his Sermon on the Mount. So I, I won't take this time to read the whole passage, but I will read the last few verses because I think they're absolutely cr uh, crucial for us understanding the force behind Paul's words in Philippians 4, where he's able to say, be anxious for nothing. So in Matthew 6, starting at verse 30, uh, Jesus says, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat, or what, we, what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So according to Jesus' words here, to allow your mind to jump into the future's worries is to jump headfirst into Gentile, pagan unbelief. Jesus responds to anxiety and worry with, You of little faith. The Gentiles, the pagans, eagerly seek those things. And then he draws on this idea of seeking something far better, and that is God's kingdom an otherworldly reign and rule, a completely unorthodox way of living. I also think this is brilliant. This was brilliant for Jesus to mention. Uh, to, I think it's brilliant that Jesus mentions what he mentions in this passage because it addresses the issues with what we truly and usually worry about. Jesus mentions the essentials of survival, clothing, food, and drink. And says, do not worry about those things. Don't you have a God who cares for you? If Jesus himself tells us not to worry about the essentials of survival, how do you think he would respond to our worries about the safety of our family members? Or what others think of us if we do or say this or that? Or what we're going to do as a career? Or what, we, uh, or what may or may not happen if you have that piece of cheesecake after dinner? Or if our children will experience the same pain and suffering that we experienced. Or if you'll have a spouse and children. Jesus says, you of little faith, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. 
It is this exact teaching that Paul stands on when the Holy Spirit moves him to write, be anxious for nothing. Absolutely nothing. Now, you may have the response many do at this point, and that is this. Well, what can I do instead, Chris? What can I do? Paul presents us with the alternative in the very next phrase when he contrasts the word nothing within everything. When he says, so the verse says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So the alternative that we receive uh, through the hand of Paul by the Holy Spirit is thankful prayer, gratitude, and expressing it to God. is calling for a full self-disclosure before God with a grateful attitude. So instead of allowing intrusive thoughts to direct your everyday life, our lives are to be dominated by grateful prayer. Every single day is a day that should be filled praising God for renewed mercies. Prayer became the very thing that comforted my soul and secured my heart and mind when the weight of the world's worries were placed on my shoulders. And this is exactly what Paul leads to in the next verse in Philippians 4 verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Thankful prayer accomplishes two things. The guarding of your heart, which means your affections, your desires, and what you care for the most. And the guarding of your mind, your thoughts, your intentions, and your daily meditations and concerns. All that you love and all that you think. Surely the world has enough problems that would crush a softened heart. But when your life is filled with praise and adoration for the one who secured your freedom from sin and death, there is a peace that, that, as Paul goes on to say, that surpasses all understanding. Here's what this means. This means that God's peace, the peace that he provides through Christ, is able to produce exceedingly better results than my own human planning, than what my own human brain could muster up. And if I'm being honest, meditating on that reality has extinguished the majority of my worry. What a joy, what a joy it is to stand in Christ's righteousness fully forgiven, fully empowered and guarded from all falsehood, slander, demonic schemes, and fleshly indulgences. Looking outside of myself for peace was quite possibly the best thing I could have done in the last several weeks because I needed to trust the God who clothes me, resolves my hunger, and quenches my thirst. The solution is not outside in the world, nor inside my own heart, or regarding my own creativity. The solution is in Christ. I love what, what Corey Tenboom says. She says, 
If you look around the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll feel you'll be depressed. But if you look at God, you'll be at rest. Look to Christ and you'll have true freedom. Look to Christ and the weight of your intrusive thoughts will be eliminated as you meditate on the incredible riches Jesus has accomplished on your behalf. Jesus himself says in John 14, 27, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. I am surely not naive to think that everything will be a walk in the park at this point. It may not even be the beginning of it, but one thing I do know. God's peace transcends all worldly power, and he is sufficient for all of my worship and praise. He's complete. He's, he's worth it. He's completely worth it. So in the moments where I'm feeling out of control, anxious, and overly concerned, and I just, I, I just need a steady anchor to keep me afloat, I will look to Christ, the Son of God, the great physician, the lover of my soul. This, this right here is the historical, accurate Jesus that is revealed in the scriptures. The God of the universe who penetrated into human history, cloaked in human flesh to fulfill all that we couldn't. It is in him, it is in him that I seek to present you today. To delight in him before dismissing him, to know him before knocking him. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Don't Knock It podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ramirez. Grace and peace, family. Peace.